MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, January 31st, 2020. Today, the final day of Senators' questions in the impeachment trial. E. Jean Carroll is seeking Trump's DNA. More on the Belgian guy surveilling Ivanovich. Flynn is stupid. A lawsuit about Barr and Durham expenses. The Trump campaign giving envelopes of cash to black voters. And an update on the U.S. border wall. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is no one. That is right. Jordan is super sick. Mandy is on vacay. We here at the Daily Beans believe in time off and health care and self-care, so I'm covering for them the way they carried the show for me when I needed a couple of days off last week. So it's just you and me today. Uh, we do have a great show planned for you. Uh, I do actually have an interview with the host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. So I guess it's not just me today. Um, but if you're not hip to that podcast yet, get on it. It's really awesome. Uh, real life lawyer, Andrew Torres. And uh, we have a lot of news to get to. So let's just jump in and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, everybody, it's time for an impeachment update. And joining us today is Real Life Lawyer, co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, our friend Andrew Torres. Andrew, welcome to The Daily Beans. <laughs> hey, G, thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. So today is day two of the Q&A portion of impeachment. I spy something corrupt. And some interesting moments today I wanted to discuss, including, first of all, Adam Schiff bringing up the point uh, I brought up earlier in the week on the show that the Department of Justice is actually arguing in court today down the street that you can't enforce subpoenas in the court and the only remedy is impeachment. So uh, let me play that clip really quick for our listeners. Thank you, Senator. I'll, I'll respond to the question, but uh, let me begin with something in the category of you can't make this stuff up. Today, while we've been debating whether a president can be impeached for uh, essentially bogus claims of privilege for attempting to use the courts to cover misconduct. The Justice Department, in resisting House subpoenas, is in court today and was asked, well, if the Congress can't come to the court to enforce its subpoenas, because as we know, they're in here arguing Congress must go to court to enforce its subpoenas, but they're in the court saying Congress thou shalt not do that. So the judge says, if the Congress can't enforce its subpoenas in court, then what remedy is there? And the Justice Department lawyer's response is impeachment. Impeachment. You can't make this up. I mean, what, what more evidence do we need of the bad faith of this effort to cover up? I said the other day they're in this court making this argument. They're down the street making the other argument. I didn't think they'd make it on the same day. But that's exactly what's going on. So a Justice Department official argued in federal court today that the House can impeach a president over ignored subpoenas during a hearing. And, and this is, of course, the 2020 census case where the House Dems subpoenaed the Justice and Commerce Departments last November, asking the judge to enforce the subpoena of documents. So top line thoughts about how Adam Schiff handled that question. Uh, I thought Adam Schiff handled, handled the question uh, masterfully. Um, it, if anything, it is actually understated the degree of hypocrisy that is that is going on here. Um, so, just a, just a little bit of background. I mean, you 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 gave that introduction, but 
end of November, so long after the Supreme Court decided uh, very narrowly and, and I think on a razor's edge due to the discovery of the Thomas Hofeller documents that, um, that said, and you know, again, this is, this is a, uh, a near direct quote, hey, we want to add a citizenship question to the census in order to benefit Republicans, to, to benefit um, white Republicans. White Republicans, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally said that. Um, and that was sufficient to, uh, to shame Chief Justice John Roberts, who otherwise joined in with uh, the Howler Monkey contingent and basically being like, oh, well, look, Department of Commerce can do whatever it wants. Um, so we won incredibly narrowly 5-4. Um, subsequently, it uh, has been, uh, there, there are strong reasons to believe uh, that in the course of litigating uh, that matter that the uh, de- that the Commerce Department lied in its uh, submissions uh, to the various courts, and so the uh, House Committee on Oversight issued a bunch of subpoenas. Um, and as is the case, uh, Wilbur Ross, Bill Barr, the Commerce Department um, have declined uh, to uh, to comply with those subpoenas. So end of November, the um, the House uh, Committee on Oversight went to the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia in front of Judge Moss and sought a declaratory judgment that says, um, hey, enforce uh, our subpoenas, reissued them, they're valid, make them show up. And the argument that is being raised by the Department of Justice on behalf of the Trump administration is that this is a non-justiciable controversy. Um, and I, I realize that's like kind of crazy legalese, um, but, but let me explain what that means. The courts only have kind of in broad outline the power to decide actual cases and controversies, right? Like everybody learns that in, uh, in high school civics. Um, so you can't just kind of go to the court and say, hey, uh, Supreme Court, you know, what would happen if, you know, X and Y? Like, there has to be a live dispute. Um, the other thing that there must be, and there, there clearly is a dispute here, um, the other thing that there must be is that dispute must be the kind of dispute that courts were meant to settle. And so if, if a court determines this is not the kind of dispute that we courts were meant to settle, they can say, yeah, look, we get it. There is a controversy, uh, but it's non-justiciable. It's not the kind of thing that you can go to the courts to get an answer on. Let me give you a quick answer of something that, that, that is very clearly a non-justiciable controversy. That is, what's the definition of high crimes and misdemeanors, right? So suppose against all odds that, uh, that Donald Trump, you know, uh, Bolton testifies 30 Republicans flip. It's the tipping point. We're celebrating in the streets. Uh, and then Alan Dershowitz just, and, and, and Donald Trump is convicted, removed from office. And Alan Dershowitz decides to go to the courts and say, look, you just heard me rail on. These are not high crimes and misdemeanors. We want the courts to say this impeachment was no good. This is not a high crime or misdemeanor. The court would say, yeah, look, look this is a live case or controversy. Uh, we have our own opinions as to what constitutes a high crime or misdemeanor, uh, but that's not just that's not justiciable in the courts. We can't issue an opinion. We're not going to overturn an impeachment because we think this is what the law means. 
Right, because constitutionally, uh, the it is the Senate and the House that determines what a high crime or misdemeanor is. Exactly right. Um, and and that argument, right, is the argument that is made in print uh, a week ago <laughs> and reiterated at oral argument today uh, by attorneys for the Department of Justice. Um, and again, this is uh, Joseph Hunt, who's had his fingerprints all over the commerce case, um, you know, was dressed down by the District of Maryland the last time you and I talked about the commerce, uh, the, the Department of Commerce cases, uh, and uh, and James Burnham, the uh, the the Deputy uh, Assistant Attorney General, who actually made the argument, and and their argument is, this is like that. Due to separation of powers, you can't go to court to enforce a congressional subpoena. The only remedy is a political remedy. This is not like a an implication or between the lines. It is, you know, in one proceeding, in the political proceeding, uh, Alan, uh, Jay Sekulow and Alan Dershowitz are arguing, no, no, I don't understand why they didn't go to court. And in court, the Department of Justice is arguing, nope, don't come to us, you know, don't come to court. Uh, the only remedy is political. It is 100% a contradiction, and anybody who says otherwise is lying to you. And, and one of the Trump appointees in another case, I think it's the Deutsche Bank case, could be the Mazars case, there's so many right now, Judge Rao actually put in her dissenting opinion that this is not a case for the courts to decide subpoenas. Impeachment is the remedy. And so now... This clashes with Seculo and and his group of uh, idiots, because the Dems are arguing over and over again this in in this in the Senate trial, you know that subpoenas are enforceable by the Congress. Impeachment is our remedy, and and we're doing this, and we decide what high crimes and misdemeanors are. This isn't uh, uh, something that the court decides. It's uh, and so then now we have these two contradicting arguments from the Department of Justice, from Trump, Trump, Trump world, happening on the same day, it just blocks away from one another. Yeah, I mean, two, two, two thoughts on that, right? First, we saw some of this laid bare in the Mueller report, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. Oh, well, you and I have already talked about this at length. This is nothing new. Uh, and if any senator sitting in that body is like, well, I never thought of that before, I punch him in the face, honestly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll hold his arms behind his back because it'll be a heat. So uh, I'll hold his arms behind the back and you punch him in the face. Yeah. Um, and, and look, like that was ultimately like when when you and I were having that discussion, you could see sort of the resignation that is written in black and white in the Mueller report of like, yeah, we know we were entitled to stuff we didn't get, but like that was going to take years, man. And we just didn't, we thought we had more than enough for you to impeach this guy. And, uh, and yet somehow, because this wasn't about oral sex, nobody read it. Well, somehow the somehow's name, the somehow's name is Bill Barr and his, his maybe early shuttering of the investigation, blocking all of the referred ones. And, and then, uh, it, you know, mischaracterizing the findings of the report. So eh, somehow it didn't get seen. But yeah. 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 No, no argument there. Also, you know, brief eight second sidebar on Naomi Rao, who I believe was 
uh, unanimously voted not qualified by the American Bar Association. Um, if not, she should be. I mean, she's a Federalist Society hack uh, and does not belong on the uh, U.S. Uh, District Court, on the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. But you know, we're stuck with her for life. Thanks. That would be a that'd be a good argument for the Republicans in the Senate right now to to be like, well, Rao is totally unqualified, complete idiot, and she's the one who thinks impeachment is the only remedy. So, huh? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> can we can we get like a pinata off between Jay Sekulow and Naomi Rao? Like <laughs> that would be just amazing as they try and outdumb each other but um i don't know i think pam bondi is a good dark horse for that her, her responses have been nothing but gold yeah she'll just be running around like the hamburglar with the like bag of money with the uh, dollar sign on the outside anyway yeah i'm sorry i'm derailing this this is my fault no it's totally fine uh so here's another question for you Rand paul apparently stormed out of the Senate when Chief Justice John Roberts refused to read his question, naming the whistleblower a second time. I guess Rand, I call him Ayn Rand Paul. I think he's named after Ayn Rand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Went out, did some press conferences saying, I absolutely should be able to say whatever the fuck I want. Uh, He should read it, blah, blah, blah. And he he said he was going to do it again today. He did it again today. Uh, Chief Justice uh, Roberts refused to, again, refused to read the name of the whistleblower. I must, We haven't verified or corroborated it's the name of the whistleblower, but it's the name of the whistleblower because Rand Paul has said that's pretty much what he's trying to do. And I, I hear he actually named the whistleblower in a press conference when he found out Chief Justice wasn't going to allow him to make him read it the second time. So normally, I mean, throughout this whole process, John Roberts has been sort of a doily, right? Um, but now... <laughs> but I mean, he's actually, you know, he did admonish both sides for being dicks. Uh, I think he was mostly going after Nadler on that one. But this refusal to read that, that's sort of injecting yourself into the proceeding, is it not? I mean, what did you think of that whole thing? So uh, a couple of things. Let's let's work backwards from the end. Number one, I, I, I am I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this, right? The game at the Supreme Court now, right, this was ties back into the, the, the census question and the, and the Commerce Department case is shame John Roberts, right? And I, I am pleased that John Roberts has said, I am not going to use, right, I'm not a potted plant up at the front of this uh, proceeding, and I'm not going to attach my name to um, what is a transparent effort to uh, deter future whistleblowers, right? And 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 that and working backwards, look, there is absolutely no legal justification for what the Republicans are doing. And this goes back to the reason that we know the name of the whistleblower is because the president's counsel in cross-examination of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman in the closed door depositions asked him uh and, and it was clear Vindman does not know the whistleblower, but specifically named the person, said, do you know X? Do you have any documents with X? Do you have any communications with X? Um, I know the page of that deposition. I'm not going to say it on the air uh, because I have done my best to forget that name because, I mean, this is just repugnant. The only reason to want to out the whistleblower is to deter future people from blowing the whistle on governmental crimes. 
Hundred percent. They want to. They want to chill future whistleblowers. They want to. If he. He would. If he. If he could destroy the Whistleblower Protection Act, he would. He would do it now. But this is his kind of roundabout way. And and let's take look. Let's take the Republican position at face value. I'm talking about this on the recording for my show, which drops tomorrow. It's so fun. Um, but but the Republican position is, oh, you know, Schiff met with the whistleblower and coordinated all of this. Um, that's that's false. Uh, but but assume for a second that it were true. Let's take this extended analogy to a trial, right? That's essentially what the impeachment inquiry is. The idea that you would be up in arms because the prosecutor coordinated with a complaining witness is the stupidest fucking thing I have ever heard out of a Republican Congress, you know, Republican Senate that is committed to saying stupid fucking things, right? Like, like, is it improper when the police talk to a victim of a crime? And then if that witness testifies, work with that way? Like, if that were the case, we literally would have zero criminal convictions in our nation's history. There is nothing improper with a prosecutor talking to somebody who files a complaint. And the idea that this has persisted is just bonkers. It makes no sense the second you start to peel beneath the surface. And I, I honestly think it is just like in their world in which they're like, ooh, we're going to find Adam Schiff in a contradiction uh, because he said he didn't know the whistleblower and never talked to him, which is true, by the way. Like, I, I, I allowed it over that really quickly. But like the reason why we think Adam Schiff's staff uh, or somebody on the House Oversight Committee communicated with somebody in contact with the whistleblower is because the whistleblower looked at the law and said, hey, I filed this complaint. The ICIG said this was supported by substantial evidence. And then the statute says that shall be transmitted to you guys. Did you get it? And Schiff's staff was like, uh, what are you talking about? Yep. And we learned that it had been fed into Bill Barr's shredder. If the, uh, this is the importance uh, uh, on the bottom line. If the whistleblower had not gone to the House of Representatives, this would have stayed buried. And so when you see Rand Paul doing this, that's what they're saying. They are fighting for the right of after the fact, quizlings and collaborators to keep crimes quiet. I, I, I like that. That's not hyperbole. That's no. not. That's what they're trying to do. Nope, hundred percent. That should be terrifying. And Rand Paul should be, you know, forced to a lifetime of like writing bad libertarian fan fiction somewhere, but not in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, no, it is terrifying. I actually spoke with um, a former director of uh, Secretary of Veterans Affairs about his whistleblower protection office and how it, it went to shit under under Barr and Trump as well. It is it's totally terrifying. So uh, one last thing, I literally have about 30 seconds left. I'm interested to know <laughs> what you think about the witness vote. Do you think they'll vote for witnesses or not? I think it's going to be close. And, you know, what we've been saying on my show and, and I know you've done the same thing is um, regardless of who they are, get out there and call your senators. It's not hard if they're Democrats call them to thank them for standing up for witnesses. If they're Republicans, call them and just be super polite. Talk to staffers if the senator is not available and say, hey, I'm a constituent. I want to record that I don't think you can have a fair trial without hearing from witnesses, however you want to go, whichever way you want to decide. Let's at least make this a trial. Let's at least hear from witnesses. I think it's going to be close. Yeah, I think it's going to be close too. And I, I have a feeling that 
that uh, Mitch McConnell will, based on how some of the Democrats vote, will pull votes or add votes or allow votes uh, for yes, but not a majority uh, with with his more endangered species of, of Republican senators like Murkowski and Collins. But you know, we'll see. I don't think we're going to lose any. I don't think we're going to lose any Democrats. The only one on on witnesses. Um, the only person that I would say keep an eye on is uh, Kirsten Cinema, who um, is has the single worst record among uh, Democrats for siding with Trump, um, and doesn't have to. Right, like she's from the purple state of Arizona and could be as liberal as she wants, but uh, but she seems terrible. So. Um, I, but I don't think we're even going to lose cinema. No, I, even, I think even Manchin said he was going to vote for it. So, All right. Well, thank you um, so much. Uh, everyone, please check out the Opening Arguments podcast. Thanks for having this impeachment chat with me, and we'll talk again soon. Always. Take care. Uh, also today, uh, first of all, thanks, Andrew Torres, for coming on. That was great. But today, also, this happened a little bit after that interview. Trump's legal team just blew a hole in their entire argument that burden sharing and corruption was policy and you can't fuck with policy. We can't impeach based on policy. Let's listen to this response by Adam Schiff. A senator, a chief justice, um, in answer to that question, we heard a rather breathtaking admission by the president's lawyer. Uh, and it was said in an understated way, and so you might have missed it. But what the President's counsel said was that no foreign policy was being conducted by a private party here. That is, Rudy Giuliani was not conducting U.S. foreign policy. Rudy Giuliani was not conducting policy. That is a remarkable admission, because to the degree that they have attempted to suggest or claim or um, insinuate that this is a policy difference, that a concern over burden sharing or something corruption was a policy issue. They have now acknowledged that the person in charge of this was not conducting policy. That is a startling admission. So the investigations that Giuliani was charged with trying to get Ukraine to announce into Joe Biden into this Russian propaganda theory they have just admitted were not part of policy. They were not policy conducted by Mr. Giuliani. So what were they? They were, in the words of Dr. Hill, a domestic political errand not to be confused with policy. So that is just stunning. Uh, And then after that, Schiff actually proposed putting a cap of one week for witnesses, for witness depositions, saying, quote, is that too much to ask that we follow the Clinton model? I mean, are we really guided by the timeline of the State of the Union? Can we take a week in support of a fair trial? I think we can. I think we should. I think we must. So that was really an interesting thing, because, you know, the Republicans have been saying, oh, if you call witnesses, it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. and, And we don't have time to do that. So this was a proposal today by Adam Schiff saying we can get this done in a week. We'll do the depositions. Uh, we should put a cap on it. And so he put that out there in the middle of uh, or just right after that answer of the clip that I played you. So we will be right back with news about Flynn, Crew, and the Parnas and Freeman show. So stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG. And this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. 
Is there something interfering with your happiness or are you prevented from achieving your goals by something that's going on? Everyone can use help from time to time. I personally experienced pain and loss and needed support and help in the healing process. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with an, uh, your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And the great thing about BetterHelp is their service is available for clients worldwide, so you can access it anywhere. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. And that's always been a barrier to care for me. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if it's needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, so visit their website, read their testimonials. They're posted daily. Here's a recent one from BetterHelp uh, user named GA who says, Dr. McCoy has been such a blessing to work with. Her wisdom and experience have renewed my trust in therapists, and she truly pointed my life in a positive direction. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 700,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Parnas, Truman. All right, so here's the lead from today's Washington Post. Ten days before Parnas and Fruman dined with the president at his Washington hotel, they were part of a small group of Republican Party donors who met with the president at Mar-a-Lago, his Florida estate, a new recording shows. So this slow roll of Parnas tapes and evidence continues uh, as the impeachment trial drones on, uh, as we learn that the two indicted Giuliani associates attended a small gathering held in a fancy-schmancy room, not the omelet bar, at the Southern White House um, that was also attended by Ronna McDaniel, whose name is actually Ronna Romney McDaniel, but she dropped Romney to garner approval from Trump after Mitt and Don got snitty with it. Bring it. So Ronna Romney was there, and while it was known that Lev and Igor had attended uh, an event at Mar-a-Lago, we did not know the purpose of the event, the date, or who else was there. And now we know, because as we know, this recording, along with the one made at Trump's D.C. hotel days later, just 10 days or er, 10 days later, where Parnas and Trump discussed getting rid of the top diplomat to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, um, this, these two recordings blow a giant hole in Trump's repeated lies about how he doesn't know Parnas and Fruman. He's been dismissing Parnas as a con man and a groupie, but these two recordings, and there are probably more, give us a picture of Trump's close association with the high-dollar Republican donors, and we have to continue to ask about the security at both the D.C. Hotel and Mar-a-Lago, where a president of the United States can be recorded by criminals that participated in the Kremlin-backed extortion of Ukraine for like an hour at a time, uh, and get those recordings out. The White House has not responded, but Ronna Romney's spokesperson from the RNC did, saying, quote, On a given day, the chairwoman greets hundreds, if not thousands, of people at events across the country. This is nothing more than that. Um, we've heard that so many times about, uh, you name the associate. Um, you know, I just don't know. I take pictures of hundreds of people. I meet thousands of people a day. Uh, Giuliani was not present at either gathering. Parnas's lawyer gave a copy uh, of the Mar-a-Lago recording to The Washington Post, saying he's already provided it to the House investigators. 
And also in attendance is good old Pete Sessions, who's never far behind. Uh, he's We know he's been subpoenaed as part of the criminal investigation into Parnas and Fruman by the Southern District. And Brian Ballard was also there, a Florida lobbyist who's really close to Trump. But those two criminals have also declined to comment. And now, uh, Flynn is stupid. So <laughs> here's, here's what's going on with Flynn. There's a new Department of Justice filing. Uh, remember, they, they made their filing a while back, a long time ago, saying uh, um, probation's fine. He's been very cooperative. Then when he blew up his plea agreement and started not cooperating in the Bijan Keon case, the DOJ regrouped and came back and said, ah, we're changing our sentencing recommendation from no jail to the minimum guidelines, zero to six months. But just yesterday, uh, the Department of Justice handed in another sentencing recommendation, and they added the word probation would be warranted. And they also put in there that you could do downward variance, shorten the sentence, because he's a general. He signed up to give his life for the country. Now, there's a couple different views on this. My initial reaction was great. Bill Barr is putting his thumbs on the scale again, making the DOJ, uh, you know, recommend probation only for Flynn, no jail time. Um, but the, I mean, it does say zero to six months is the guidelines. Zero to six months is the guidelines, are the guidelines. But, you know, probation would be warranted and acceptable too, because, you know, because he's also a general. So take that into consideration. However, an empty wheel brought this up in her blog, um, Marcy Wheeler, saying, Look, we know from public records that Judge Sullivan, first of all, doesn't like Flynn very much. But second of all, didn't like the Petraeus um, sentencing either. He doesn't like giving a break to people just because they were in the military. And in fact, I think his, his point of view here is that they should be held to a higher standard at that point. So Marcy Wheeler seems to um, kind of insinuate that they put this in here as like a poke to remind Sullivan that he shouldn't get zero jail time. But on the other hand, they didn't have to add the word probation back in. Um, so I'm just, I'm very concerned about it, especially because, and this is horrifying, the Associated Press is now reporting that Bill Barr has named a close advisor and one of his lackeys named Timothy Shea to replace Jesse Liu as the U.S. Attorney General in D.C., this is the largest U.S. attorney's office in the country, and and not only because it has a lot of cases um, referred by Mueller, uh, but I mean it's just you know everything in Washington happens there. But that's where the cases, some of the cases referred by Mueller, are live. Uh, the Flynn case lives there, which is why I'm bringing it up in light of the new Department of Justice filing in the Flynn case, saying, "Well, we're back to probation," and it's also handling the Andrew McCabe case. And probably the Comey case, if the second bar investigation turns anything up, which even if it doesn't legally, I'm sure it will turn something up that's not real. Uh, the D.C. office also handles any prosecutions if Congress finds any witnesses in contempt. So that's another um, sort of rescue line to the president there, because if any, you know, if they continue investigations in the House, subpoena people, they don't show up. They hold him in contempt. It has to go through um, this new bar person now. Shea, his name's Timothy Shea. It has to go through him now. So Barr tried last year around the time the grand jury didn't return a McCabe indictment. Remember back then, like, they were going to indict McCabe, and then the grand jury came back, and they 
didn't hand over an indictment and then they sort of left the case open and lingering but refused to hand over the documents in the FOIA case and the judge said, look, you got to hand over the documents or shut this case down. It's not, it's over. And they kept the case open and said they would hand over documents but haven't really done that yet. They haven't complied with that court order yet. So the DOJ is in defiance of that court order um, at this time. And so right around that time, Barr tried to move Jesse Liu to another job in the Department of Justice, Associate Attorney General, number three in the Department of Justice. She declined that position. Now, this time he's moving her to the Treasury Department. Um, the, the job uh, of, of U.S. attorney in uh, the District of Columbia usually requires Senate confirmation, but the law also allows for federal judges to vote to appoint a U.S. attorney after a 120-day window, as was the case with Berman. That's the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. How interesting. Um, the the other uh, U.S. attorney's office handling the Mueller referrals and and the Cohen case uh, and all, all the other things that, um, you know, concern the president. Uh, the new guy is uh, Timothy Shea, is senior counsel to Bill Barr. He was his right-hand man in helping him institute reforms at the Federal Bureau of Prisons after Epstein's death in New York. And in the wake of Epstein's death, Barr and Shea, the, the, the article says, worked hand-in-hand hand managing the crisis and the investigation into the circumstances surrounding Epstein's death. Yeah, um, what a great... Uh, investigation. I'm sure there weren't any cover-ups in that investigation at all. Uh, videotapes are missing. Uh, logs are missing. People fell asleep. Okay, so that's the guy who is going to take Jesse Liu's job and now have oversight over a lot of the Mueller referrals, uh, whether or not the House can hold witnesses in contempt for defying subpoenas, the Flynn case, uh, and the Andy McCabe case, and of course anything else they want to prosecute out of the District of Columbia. Um, Shea is going to assume the position, as it were, February 3rd, and Jesse Liu will be moved to be the Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Crimes at the Department of Treasury. First time an AG's ever held that position. First time an Attorney General ever has held that position. So I'm sure um, nothing to see here, you know. So if we if we did a, a version of Sketch or Nah today, this to me is totally Sketch. And also in the news today, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, our friends at Crew, are suing the Department of Justice for its failure to turn over documents on U.S. Attorney Durham's investigation into the oranges of the Mueller probe, the Russia investigation. So this is from uh, Crew's website. Quote, after the announcement of the Department of Justice's investigation into Russian interference and the Trump campaign, Barr claimed that the investigation was biased against Trump and appointed Durham to conduct an independent investigation. The conclusions drawn from the Mueller investigation showed that the investigation was not politically motivated, as Barr claimed. Additionally, while there, were insufficient, while there was insufficient evidence to charge a broader conspiracy, the report produced convictions of numerous Trump campaign officials and associates. Barr's involvement in the Mueller investigation created a potential appearance of impropriety because it appeared that Barr had prejudged the outcome of the investigation. Still, Barr and Durham continued to pursue an inquiry into the origins of the investigation. Unquote. So, Crew had requested documents about Barr's involvement with Durham's investigation and sued when the Department of Justice failed to comply. The latest suit comes from three FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, concerning the costs of the trips related to Durham's investigation, including an international trip to Italy taken by Barr. Remember, that's the one where we were like, oh, they're going to go try to get Mifsud. 
um, still turned up nothing. And everyone was like, he's not, he didn't work with us. And copies of all the budgets, expenses, salaries, and costs of the investigation into the oranges of the investigation. As always, we will keep you posted on the disposition of this and the other FOIA suits we're following. I think this is hugely important. I'm really glad about this because you know, if you listen to this podcast and Mueller, she wrote, we have been seriously screaming our heads off about how can they just, at the taxpayer's expense, tra- you know, globe trot, go to different countries, go to Australia to find out if they can get dirt on Alexander Downer, who start, who you know is the one who kicked off crossfire hurricane when uh, he reported his conversation with Papadopoulos in London or he goes to London to try to find out if their uh, you know um, intelligence agencies were working with Mifsud or if he was an agent for them uh, he, when I think Durham actually reported to Barr and the inspector general no uh, our FBI and CIA and NSA are not working and have not worked with Mifsud either then he goes to Italy to watch a deposition of Mifsud uh, to supposedly try to get from the Italians any sort of dirt that they could find on on Mifsud, sitting here just trying to concoct conspiracy theories to poke holes in the the origins of the Mueller probe. And we know every single judge, because every everybody that Mueller convicted, indicted, etc., they all filed for a motion to dismiss saying that Mueller was appointed improperly. His whole thing is bullshit. It's all a big hoax. And, you know, I this, this all my charges should be dismissed. Every single case they lost. Mueller won every single case. Every single federal judge, no matter who they were appointed by, said, no, no, no. His his appointment was proper. His scope is proper, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I mean, we can talk about his scope being proper and, and Rod Rosenstein putting the reins on that and trying to curtail that. Uh, we can do that all day. But that's for another podcast. It's called Mueller, She Wrote. What we're talking about here now are these just this the inquiry of the investigation and how I just I'm so glad that the, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington is looking into this because how much did it cost? How much did it cost for Barr to go to Italy to try to gin up information on a conspiracy theory? It's it's just absolutely disgusting. And, and we we spoke Yesterday, and, and I, Zolo, I know Zoe Lofgren actually asked the question today in the impeachment trial about how, hey, isn't it? I mean, if a president asked uh, the, the U.S. Department of Justice or the FBI or one of our institutions or agencies to go after a political rival or investigate a political rival, that would be impeachable. That would be an impeachable offense. Nixon did it. It's an abuse of power. That's what abuse of power is. And so, you know, when we when you sort of film it like think about it that way if if trump indeed asked Barr to investigate his political rivals uh you know in the election biden i don't know if Mueller would would count in that capacity but if 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 Barr was doing anything to try to get dirt on biden too that would be against the law which might have been why he sent giuliani in the first place um so that was just it's really interesting um and and I'll, again we'll keep you We'll keep you apprised on on these crew FOIA requests and, and lawsuits. They're all really wonderful. Uh, we'll be right back with information about the new, you know, the Belgian guy. We've got a story about envelopes stuffed with cash and Trump's DNA. So stay with us. 
Hey everybody, it's AG, and you know as well as I do how hard it is to stick to a fitness routine. Maybe you're one of those people who know exactly what you're doing, uh, but need like new ways to take your workouts to the next level or just shake things up. Or maybe you have no idea what you're doing and you just need a baseline to help you reach your goals. So this is me, AG, host of The Daily Beans, and one of my goals this year is to improve my level of fitness, take it up a notch. A personal trainer would help, but who can afford that? That's why I started using Future. Future pairs you up with one of their world-class trainers uh, and coaches create your personalized workout plan. I love that they tailored a plan specifically to fit my schedule and my goals and my progress, and it's already helped me improve my fitness routine. With uh, with Future, your coach checks in with you daily to help you keep on track. They send texts, um, you can make adjustments to your routine, and follow. they follow your progress. Logged on your Apple Watch. Don't have an Apple Watch? No problem. When you sign up to train with Future, they send you everything you need, including an Apple Watch. Do not overpay for a trainer. Get the workouts you need to meet all your fitness goals and take your trainer with you wherever you go. Future. Sign up for Future today at tryfuture.com slash dailybeans and get 50% off your first month. That's tryfuture.com slash dailybeans for 50% off your first month. Tryfuture.com slash dailybeans. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. So here's some interesting DNA news. E. Jean Carroll. Um, that is the writer, author, uh, who accused Trump of raping her way back in the day in New York in a, in a Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. She is, and her, her legal team is asking for a DNA sample from Trump to see if it matches material on the dress she wore when the alleged rape occurred. I know, it sounds familiar. It is. So her attorneys asked him to submit a sample on March 2nd. This is the next step in a longstanding lawsuit against Trump, who says he never met Carol, that's his most popular defense for pretty much anything, uh, and was sued, and he, then he was sued for defamation by Carol as a result of that lie. Uh, the dress contains the DNA of four people, one of which is male. Um, unidentified male DNA on the dress could prove that Donald Trump not only knows who I am, but also that he violently assaulted me in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman and then defamed me by lying about it and impugning my character, unquote. That's from, um, that's from Carol. Carol said in a statement uh, Thursday, she said that. So the White House and their counsel have not responded to any request for comment. They might be a little busy right now uh, with the impeachment trial and 700 million other lawsuits, but they have not responded to a request for comment. But it's out there now. That's another thing. Throw another log on the pile because, holy shit, there's DNA on the dress. And uh, in other news, Anthony D. Kalui, that's the Dutch, Belgian guy, Dutch guy, who identifies as a Trump superfan and was alleged, allegedly the originator of the intel about Yovanovitch's whereabouts that got passed to Parnas through Hyde. Well, apparently he's more sketchy than we thought. There's more sketchy details coming out about him. Aside from masquerading around as an idiot, uh, he's also been telling people that he's an American DEA agent. I guess he saw Breaking Bad was really into that guy's character. Um, but he's also said he's an FBI agent, and he's also told people he was a CIA agent uh, and, and was starting a tech company that can track people's locations electronically. So... Uh, crazy sociopathic joke, or does he track people for a living? Uh, it reminds me of Burt Macklin from, from Parks and Rec. Burt Macklin, FBI. Uh, 
So anyway, this guy splits his time between Belgium and Florida, apparently, and is a total Trump groupie wannabe, it would appear. I guess some of the photos he posts are of actual events that he's at, but he's also not in a lot of photos and has never had a pic with Trump himself, which has got to be real sad because it seems like Trump takes pictures with pretty much anyone, including con men and groupies. But uh, even though this guy has tried to dismiss his messages about Yovanovitch's ridiculous banter... Uh, he has social media posts blasting Yovanovitch. He's, he's been smearing her publicly on social media. I know Scott Stedman at our, our friends over at Forensic Newsnet uh, found um, early on, got, got into his anonymous Facebook page and, and some of his social media pages, and, and we've seen some of those posts. He also apparently talks about moving the human race into space. So perhaps, I don't know, perhaps he's the man behind Space Force. <laughs> um, his friends, quote-unquote, Say they know him to be a drunk who spins fantastical tales and is kind of just a overall crazy dude. So what a fucking weirdo. And the U.S. Embassy in Brussels has reached out to him to see if there was any truth to his initial surveillance claims. And he's apparently cooperating with the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. So that's maybe helpful. We could hear more about this guy. Uh, both Hyde and Parnas say that uh, they were all joking around or drunk about the weeks-long monitoring of Yovanovitch. And so basically text messages from Kalui, this Belgian guy, were sent to Hyde, and then Hyde copied and pasted them and sent them to Parnas. And those were the texts that were saying stuff like, uh, she's been here since Thursday. She has her phone. Her computer's off. We confirm. Confirm we have someone on the inside. Shit like that. Uh, I don't imagine we're done hearing about these texts. Uh, for a while. And I, I know that the House uh, committees and Ukraine are both investigating the surveillance of Yovanovitch. They take this very seriously. And they should, because every single thing we've heard about this, that from the text messages to Trump's recording, or, you know, Fruman's recording of Trump telling Parnas, take her out, get rid of her. And then, of course, the, the text messages, or I, what did he say in the call to Zelensky on July 25th, the perfect call where he said she's she's going to go through she's going to be going through some things. Um, she felt threatened. She was secure, securely like whisked out of Ukraine in the middle of the night, get on the next plane too in the morning. Uh, we need to hear from the person who contacted Yovanovitch and told her that her security there was a security threat and she needed to leave. I want to know what she has to say. I think it's I think it's uh, someone who identifies as a she. I'm not sure, though. Ah, So anyway. That's just more crazy stuff about the Belgian guy. And a nonprofit run by one of Trump's biggest black supporters apparently held an event in a black community in Cleveland uh, that heralded Trump's stance on criminal justice while handing out cash prizes, envelopes stuffed with cash. The man's name is Darrell Scott, and the event was called Christmas Extravaganza. The nonprofit is called the Urban Revitalization Coalition, and they advertised that they would be handing out $25,000 in cash prizes for the holidays. Scott claimed the event was nonpartisan, but it really does read like they were just trying to buy voters, basically. Uh, Adrian Shropshire, the executive director of Black Pack, a progressive group, said that trying to buy off potential voters, quote, just demonstrates the utter disrespect that Trump and his allies have for black voters, the cynical use of the Christmas holiday when people really do need money to buy gifts for their children is so offensive, unquote. 
Rashad Robinson, the president of Color of Change, said black voters deserve more than a last-minute handout. They deserve real economic development. If Donald Trump is really willing to have clear conversations about that kind of about the kind of investments in these communities that aren't about fast checks but about helping families, then that's a different conversation. But he hasn't been interested in any of that. Unquote. So as we know, in recent polling, eight in 10 black voters described Trump as a racist and 97 percent of black women disapprove of Trump's performance as president. And that 97 percent, there's a three percent margin of error on that. So, you know, there's not much room. Um, I do have more news for you. We'll be right back with the good news and a little schadenfreude you won't want to miss. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by Upstart. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy and getting out is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. But thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score, and they offer smart interest rates to help you pay off your high-interest credit card debt. I wish I'd known about Upstart back when the student loans had me buried to the top of my head. Uh, Upstart could have helped dig me out. Uh, They go beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. They actually reward you based on your education, your job history, and they do that in the form of a smarter interest rate. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score, and they believe in you. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate. And since it's just a soft pull, it won't affect your credit score. Um, The best part, once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards and meet their financial goals. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash dailybeans to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. It's a soft pull, doesn't hit your credit. So head to upstart.com slash dailybeans now. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, time for some good news. Tish James, Letitia James, um, New York Attorney General, today announced she's filing a lawsuit against the Trump administration for attempting to raise the cost of abortion services under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, She says in a tweet, quote, this is just another attempt to control women's bodies and make it harder for women to exert their constitutional right to an abortion. And we are fighting back. So thank you, Tish James. The arc of justice bends towards you. Uh, Time for a little schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Okay, get this. The brand new panels from the U.S. border, uh, the wall, were blown over by the wind yesterday, landing on the Mexican side of the border, knocking down some trees. Best part? This is part of an ongoing construction project to improve existing sections of the wall. The National Weather Service reported that winds in the area got up to 37 miles per hour, though I think Trump probably took a map and added a hurricane with a sharpie. Uh, We could put up some windmills, but those cause cancer, as we know. And President Trump's border wall, that by the way, that's a joke. They don't. And they're not windmills, they're wind turbines. Anyway, moving on. And President Trump's border wall, new story, Washington Post. (laughs) Again, President Trump's border wall will likely require the installation of hundreds of storm gates to prevent flash flash floods from undermining or knocking it over. Gates that must be left open for months every summer during monsoon season in the desert. That's the super rainy Uh, time of the year. This is according to U.S. border officials, agents, uh, and engineers familiar with the plans. The open unmanned gates in remote areas already have allowed for the easy entry of smugglers and migrants into the United States. Good job. 
And from the Washington Post, hidden 70 feet beneath a small industrial building in TJ, Mexico, lays a long and sophisticated passageway complete with a railway, plumbing, and a ventilation system. It stretches the length of almost 12 football fields, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection officials say Mexican narcotics traffickers had used the tunnel to smuggle drugs across the border into an industrial area of San Diego. CPB officials announced the discovery of the passageway Wednesday and called it the longest ever smuggling tunnel discovered at the U.S.-Mexico border. So, sweet wall, bro. Let's get social. Hashtag. All right, two hashtags today I want you to check out. Hashtag no presser, no book, and hashtag witnesses now. So I had an idea on the treadmill this morning. Why not have a quid pro quo of our own? So I started a hashtag called, uh, well, it's hashtag no presser, no book. And it's a deal for Ambassador Bolton. If he holds a press conference, a presser, and if what he reveals gets the Senate to vote for witnesses, I have agreed to buy his book. I know we've talked about this, like, I'm not buying his book. I'll just get it from the news. F that guy. He's just a, you know, media whore, blah, blah, blah. And he's a total dick and, and et cetera, et cetera. But maybe if we tell him, hey, Go on Matto tonight. Uh, do a do a press conference in the morning. Come out with something, something big. Drop something huge. And if you can get if it if what you drop influences the Senate enough to vote for witnesses, then I'll buy your book. Now, if you don't drop anything and they vote for witnesses, no deal because we are where we are right now. Um, but the vote for witnesses could be tomorrow. Uh, and it probably will be, and it will be close. Uh, you heard Andrew Torres and I speak about that earlier. If it's 50-50, the chief justice can cast the tie-breaking vote. There is precedent for that. In the end, It happened in the Andrew Johnson impeachment. We have no idea if he will. I don't know how the motions will work. But to me, he's been extremely passive. And if three senators is enough, it will be hard to get the third. That person, but but they won't know, right? If you're the third vote or the fourth vote, you've had this discussion among Republicans, you don't know going into this vote if Chief Justice John Roberts is willing to cast that tie-breaking vote. So they may go conservative on this. But that third person would likely become a target of the president. The fourth person would for sure. Uh, we will see. And, and how do you figure out, anyway, who is the fourth person or who is the third person? I mean, everybody votes at the same time. So it's like, why does one person get pinned with that? responsibility like i mean i get mccain voting no on on health care because I, I think he was the only republican so yeah him uh but what makes you the tie-breaking vote or the final one like if if all four let's say lamar alexander murkowski collins and uh romney vote for witnesses which one of them is the one to blame do you know what i mean and then if if there is a tiebreaker by chief justice roberts uh and you only need three senators, which one of those three is the one that you target? Probably all three of them, but it's just really interesting. Um, but we will see. Tonight, I'm feeling like without additional revelations by Bolton, we might not get the witnesses. And if we tie, I don't know if Roberts can be legacy shamed enough into voting for the Dems, but we'll see. Uh, we'll definitely know by the next time we speak. If it is a tie, he could say, hey, he could go along with Dershowitz's arguments and say, if we're nowhere near a bipartisan impeachment, then we shouldn't vote for it, uh, which is a dumb argument. But maybe he'll go that way. I don't know. I know he cares about his legacy. I just 
It's hard to say, and we just don't know. Everything's in so much flux right now. But this just in, Adam Klasfeld is now reporting uh, from Jay Rust that Judge Oatkin, the judge presiding over the Fruman and Parnas case, made a major statement today during a hearing with Fruman, because Fruman's lawyer was arguing that privileged information is being released by Parnas. But the judge said, it's up to the House Intelligence Committee, the HIPSI, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, to protect any potentially attorney-client privileged material, and what HIPSI determines uh, is not privileged, can be shared with the public. And HIPSI determines it. So we just might see something new before the vote tomorrow, as the HIPSI is now learning that a judge is backing their play, that they decide what is covered by privilege, and they can release materials if they decide that it's not. And as we know, Adam Schiff has said multiple times in, in multiple different arguments, both in the Senate and in the House, during the impeachment inquiry and the trial, he said, look, look, you can't uh, assert executive privilege to cover up a crime. That's called the crime fraud exception. And you can't do it if you've waived it already by going public or making public comments. So I think he would tend to err on the side of there's no privilege here. No executive privilege can be can be asserted or invoked. So I think he would be willing to, or, you know, more likely than not to release those materials, provided Parnas hasn't already dumped all of his, you know, all of his high value shit. So, but until we find that out, until the vote tomorrow, the next time we talk, we'll know if there's going to be witnesses in this trial. So until then, please take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>